Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Liz Moody Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning how to up-level every part of our sex lives, discovering genius hacks to fall and stay asleep, or discussing chronic illness and the future of treatments. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. We are back today with another advice episode where every single month I'm joined by very special guests and we answer all of your questions. If you haven't listened to the last one with Jennifer Cohen of Habits and Hustle, definitely scroll back and have a listen. We get into all things habit building, morning routines, finding focus, fighting fatigue, and even some great relationship and friendship tips. You can always send any questions that you want answered to ask at lizmoody.com or I'll be taking questions on Instagram the last week or so of every month, so be on the lookout for that. Everything is always completely anonymous. Today, I am so excited to welcome Tiffany Thiessen to the podcast. For my millennials out there, she is, but of course, our one and only Kelly Kapowski on Saved by the Bell and Valerie Malone on Beverly Hills 90210. Tiffany still has an incredible acting career. She has been in so many movies. She was on White Collar for years, but she has also established herself in the food industry in the last decade, and she gets into the entire inspiring story of that transition in this episode. She hosted Dinner at Tiffany's on the Cooking Channel, and she now hosts MTV's Deliciousness, and she's published two cookbooks, Pull Up a Chair, Recipes from My Family to Yours, and her newest book, Here We Go Again, Recipes and Inspiration to Level Up Your Leftovers. On this advice episode, we get into the easiest ways to make leftovers taste delicious every single time, hacks for eating healthier on a budget, how to encourage picky eaters to expand their palates, whether they're your kids or your partner, the number one thing she wishes new moms knew about having their first kid, the best thing about getting older, how to maintain relationships with your close friends as you age why anybody can reinvent themselves at any age, and so much more. Tiffany is turning 50 this year, and I came away from this conversation both excited to make good use of my leftovers and excited that life can keep getting better year after year and keep changing year after year. Often society tells us that the exciting part of our life is over at a certain age, that we can't switch things up, that we can't get hotter and smarter and have more fun. And Tiffany is such a reminder of how incredibly untrue that is. And she shares such great advice for how we can have that attitude as well. I also just really admire how lovely and warm and sane she is. She became a huge international celebrity as a teenager. She had her body picked apart in tabloids at the age where I was in high school, which would truly have made me want to curl up in a ball and never leave the house again. But she did not do that. She built this lasting career, which is wild unto itself in Hollywood, And she's kind and smart and interesting and interested. And she's built a beautiful life for herself, and that is no small feat. As always, we would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, so definitely screenshot and tag us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and Tiffany is at Tiffany with an I, Thiessen. Also, we are in the thick of the holidays. If you're still shopping for any last-minute gifts, my book, 100 Ways to Change Your Life, makes such a good one for basically everyone in your life. 
Moms especially love it. I've been getting a lot of that feedback because the tips are designed so that you can read them in five minutes, which from what I hear is often about the amount of time that moms have to read. It's also so good for college students, new grads, your parents, your sister, since the tips span 18 different categories from gut health to career success to relationships, there truly is something for everyone. You can pick up a copy in person at most local bookstores or Barnes & Noble, or if you go to 100waystochangeyourlife.com, 100waystochangeyourlife.com, we have links to a bunch of different retailers, many of whom have two-day or overnight shipping. Finally... This is officially the last Liz Moody podcast episode of 2023, and what a year it's been. I'm actually tearing up as I say this because this has been one of the hardest and most transformative years of my life. I started this year with, uh, okay, I'm going to try really hard not to cry. I started this year without having even a finished draft of my book hosting the Healthier Together podcast, and I'm ending the year hosting the Liz Moody podcast with a USA Today bestselling book, having gotten to go on tour and meet and hug so many of you, having flown over 30 times, which are words that I never would have thought I'd say. I actually have some very exciting news that I will share soon, but it requires a long flight. And when I got the news, I thought my first reaction would be fear, but it was just pure excitement, which surprised me so much. It's just one of the many tiny gifts that this book, this podcast has given me that is so unexpected. It presented me with the opportunity to push myself to grow and to prove to myself that I could live the life that I want. I've also gotten to grow and learn from so many amazing people this year, starting with the Health Effects of Alcohol series we did to kick off January, then diving into Confidence, The Secrets of Happiness, Invisible Labor and Mental Load with Eve Rodsky, the Robin Arzone episode that made us all fall in love with her a little bit more. We will be back January 3rd, and our first episode is a game plan for the best 2023 ever, so get excited for that. But in the meantime, if you need some holiday listening, we'll be making some playlists on Spotify, including one designed to help you go after your 2023 goals. And we now have a search function for the podcast on lizmoody.com so you can find episodes about any topics that you would like. But I do want to say hosting this podcast is the biggest honor of my life. I love every single one of you, and I am so appreciative of every single moment that you choose to spend your time listening and learning and growing with me. Here's to an amazing 2023. I cannot wait for everything 2024 has in store. Okay, I'm mushy, but wow, what a year. It's just been a year I never could have even imagined. Before I start just sobbing into my mic, let's just get into it with Tiffany Thiessen. <laughs> Tiffany, I'm so excited to have you here today. I loved the whole style and aesthetic and tone of your new book just felt so fun. It felt like it made cooking and eating fun in a way that I don't see in a lot of books. Oh, I appreciate that. Truly. It was a lot of fun to make, actually. So I'm glad it translates on page, as you would say. 
It was a definite passion project for me. I have a very deep love for food ever since I was a little girl. And this is a book that came about during the very beginning of the pandemic. I think we didn't know like if we could go to the grocery store, we weren't really sure. And so we were kind of forced to stretch food a lot longer than we normally probably did. And it just got me thinking like, I've always tried to instill the importance of not wasting food with my children. And I grew up also in a family that didn't have a ton of money. So my mom was really, truly the queen of leftovers. And so I grew up in that sort of way of thinking about food more for budget reasons, not so much for food waste and making an imprint, you know, bigger than we already are in our planet. So the two ideas kind of came together and that's where it came about for Here We Go Again. Do you want to just kick us off by sharing one of your favorite ways to utilize leftovers? Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, there's so many. I mean, that's why I created the book because I feel like it's endless. I really wanted the book to be an eye opener for people to not just use my recipes, but also to think of their pantry and their fridge in a different way. But I can tell you like some of the ones that I probably gravitate more towards just because we have it constantly. Like I literally just had leftover pizza and I was like, I'm not going to throw this away. This is going to be breakfast tomorrow morning. So we make the pizza breakfast sandwich all the time. We always have leftover crackers. You know, I'm always making breadcrumbs, which is really kind of easy to do. There's always some sort of leftover dairy that'll make something great. And my husband is a huge iced coffee drinker. So I'm always making the iced lattes all the time with leftover coffee and a little bit of leftover milk. Not enough to put in a cereal bowl, but enough to make, you know, great iced coffee. Stuff like that, that are definitely more popular because we just have it all the time. I want people to kind of open up their eyes a little bit more and and think outside the box a little bit, instead of just thinking like, I wasted this bag of, you know, greens again and like toss it. A hundred percent. That is a good intro to our first listener question, which is, I've been trying to eat healthier, but I'm on a tight budget and I find that healthier food options are often more expensive. How can I make nutritious meals that don't break the bank? Are there specific ingredients I should focus on or ways of doing it that make things cheaper or places Mm -hmm. to shop? What's Mm -hmm. the secret? Well, I don't know where she's coming from, but I always have found that farmer's markets are actually cheaper than grocery stores. So I will say that. And generally you can get great produce which tends to be healthier for you than going to a grocery store. So that's one tip. I've been a very big advocate for people if they have even just a tiny bit of space of trying their hands at growing food, because it really opens up your world to one, how cheap it is (laughs) to literally grow your own food. And secondly, how great it is to grow your own food, but not everybody can do that. So I totally understand that. What's a starter? If we wanted to dip our hand into the gardening world, what's the first thing we should try that like is maybe a little easier and not so scary? Well, herbs is probably the easiest things that you can do because you can actually do a lot of those indoors as well, but it really does depend on your climate. I am lucky enough to live in California where our climate is like amazing pretty much 24/7, and so year-round we're able to grow stuff. But I do know lots of people who I used to live in New York City, so they have rooftop little or their little balconies have a tomato plant or whatever. It's always best to start small, especially like a small little pot. You could do strawberries, which are super easy. You could do raspberries, which are super easy. Blueberries is a great one. That's super great. Any sort of berry tends to be easy. Citrus is great really easy to grow as well. Tomatoes are kind of fun and those can be contained, you know, in a small little pot as well. I say go for what you're going to eat the most, right? (laughs) That's my advice, but yeah. I love herbs. I think herbs are one of the best ways to make 
For food sure. tastes delicious. And it oh, also, yes. when we're talking about leftovers, I think that taking like a brown mush from the fridge and then you add some fresh basil, you add some fresh parsley on top, it makes it look so much prettier. It makes it so much more appetizing. The funny thing is, aesthetically, if it looks better, you're going to want to eat it, right? I've always said that, especially now having children, that if I really made the food enticing, that they're going to be more apt to try it. And also leading by example, too. I mean, we're going into a whole different direction I know about you know kids and eating, but I do believe and never give up, too. I know a lot of times my kids are all like, I don't like it. I don't. And I was like, you said that about seven years ago. Let's give it a try again, please. <laughs> Taste buds change constantly. I know mine do as well. Where it, the way it's prepared, the way it's done, where you buy it, where you grow it, you know, that can change. A hundred percent. I'll bring us back to shopping cheaper, eating cheaper in a second. But I did get a question about helping kids who are picky eaters. So since you bring that up, do you want to dive into any like picky eater tips? Yeah. I mean, both kids have had moments of being picky. So My daughter's getting a little bit better. I think she finds it cooler to try new things because she's a teenager now. So she used to be my really, really picky eater, like crazy picky eater. And now she's great. She understands the importance of making sure you get greens in your body. And she understands the importance of vegetables and fruit. And she understands the importance of drinking lots of water. I can really chat with her about that more because she is older and understands that. And she cares about what her skin looks like. All those things are important to her right now as a teenager. My son was, funny enough, easier when he was younger, much more curious. And now he's like, eh, I don't know. But again, I'm going kind of down the same avenue with him about showing him the importance of eating well, why we want to do it, what it does for our body. I kind of tricked him in a way where he's starting to get into fitness. And I was like, well, dude, like if you want muscles, man, like you got to eat this way, (laughs) you know? So there's always ways to kind of play the tricks, you know, with the kids. And I do do the sneaking of the vegetables and the smoothies and all that. But as they're getting older, they know I'm doing it anyway. So I'm just like, eat the broccoli, just eat the broccoli. Like, even if you don't love it, know that it's doing something good in your body and just eat it. Just put it down your mouth and let's go. But that's that age. I couldn't do that when they were two. So it really depends on the age. At two, I had to sneak it a lot more. So do you think the secret is communicating the why behind it? I think so. But again, that's because of the age of my kids and they understand now. I have an eight and a 13-year-old. I could not have done that when they were two or three. One of the questions I got to was, how do I deal with a picky husband, not just picky children? So what do you do with him? Well, it's so funny because my husband hates leftovers. And this was kind of another secret reason I was doing this book because it became kind of a game for me to sort of reinvent the leftovers that my husband didn't know I was making. You know what I mean? So it was funny. It was like a joke between myself and the food that he didn't know about. (laughs) And did you win? Oh, I totally win. He, He never knows half the time. It's so funny. I mean, he knows now because I've talked about it so much, but he never asks about it anymore. I think it's a tricky situation because we don't want to nag our partners. We want to recognize that they're autonomous human beings. They can make their own choices, but we also want them to live as long as possible because they're our partners and we love them and all of that. So how do you navigate that? My husband also doesn't know how to cook. So if I don't put it on the plate for him, let's be real honest, he ain't eating. The guy's eating yogurt and granola every single day, but that's my husband, you know, and he's fine with it, but he's not going to get anything different if, if I'm not cooking it. So he is my dish man. He's my dish man and I'm very appreciative of it. <laughs> but yeah, how do you balance that? Do you 
tell him like, this is what I'm serving. So if you don't want this, you don't get to eat tonight. Or like, how are you getting him to expand his palate? He's expanded so much. I mean, he really is. He also is not a complainer. So he will eat it even if he doesn't love it. And I think we're very similar in that sense in the way we grew up where we didn't have a ton of money and what was on the table was what was on the table. I know it's very different now and it's a little more collaborative in the sense of like, I asked the kids this morning before I was like, Hey, do you want to do taco night tonight? Since we didn't do it Tuesday, it's a little more of an open conversation where when I was a kid and my husband, that wasn't a conversation. My mom made what my mom made and that's what we ate. And you were grateful for it. You were like, I was extremely grateful for it. Of course. And if I didn't like it that much or if I didn't want it, then I guess I went to bed a little hungrier that night. What am I going to do? Ever since our episode with Priya Parker on how to host the most incredible, meaningful get-togethers, I've been so conscious of how I host my own parties and events. I'm always looking for the best tips and hosting hacks to make every event super special, memorable, and fun for everyone. So I am working with Athletic Brewing Company to share some holiday hosting hacks. One of my best tips is that you definitely want to have multiple snack areas set up around your space. This one comes from the Charisma episode with Vanessa Van Edwards. Research shows that at gatherings, people hang out where the food is, and that's where they're likely to strike up conversations. So you want to create as many opportunities as possible for that to happen. Another amazing hack, serve up delicious athletic brewing non-alcoholic beers and skip the hangover. I love having these at parties so that anybody who is sober or just not feeling like drinking at the moment knows that they were considered in the planning process and has something tasty to drink all night. It is a win-win. A good host offers variety, and Athletic Brewing has so many craft brews from IPAs, extra dark brews, sours, hazies, and many more. Zach has been a beer guy for years. Like, he goes to breweries, he does tastings, and he loves Athletic Brewing. The Run Wild IPA is Zach's favorite. He says it is the perfect, crisp, refreshing IPA. It's hearty without being heavy. We always have them on hand because even the action of cracking one open after work is such a signal that the day is over and it's so nice. I also love the Wits Peak, which is a Belgian-style white beer. That one is only available online, but do not worry because I have a code for you. Use Liz M to get 15% off your first order at athleticbrewing.com. You can check out all of their online exclusives and stock up. That's code L-I-Z-M at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balance meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens. 
I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third-party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Check it out. Yeah, fair, fair. Okay. I like the collaborative approach. I like the idea of like, we're all in this together. Can we make this fun? Can we make this interactive? And I'm also hearing help the people understand the why of what we're doing this. It's not just like we're eating broccoli. It's here's how broccoli is going to make us feel more energetic. Here's how broccoli is going to help us achieve the goals mm-hmm. that we want to achieve mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. how we want to feel. Absolutely. And I think that works for husbands, for children. And then for younger children, you're just like sneak it. That's how I did it. Now, again, look, I am not here preaching at all. I'm giving you what I've done. And if that helps you, wonderful. I listen to lots of other people who are older and have older kids because that's the direction I'm going. And so I take what I can and I relate it back to myself. And I'm like, you know what? That I think would work on my daughter. So again, I'm not here preaching. It's the same how I feel about food. It's like, I'm not here telling you I know everything about food. I just love food and I love to cook. So these are the things that I do that I enjoy. Maybe you will too. And it's the same way with my parenting advice, right? I also love that you said, I know this will work with my daughter because I think sometimes we can get discouraged when we hear advice from other people and we're like, oh, like I'm trying this and the experts recommend this, but it's not having any effect. And it's like, no, your kids are individual, individual. humans and different are. things are going to work for them. Yeah, yes, you're everybody and we is. parent differently. I'm going to parent differently than you are and, and vice versa. My, I parent differently than my husband sometimes, you know, like this is what building our own little family is all about. It's not always going to apply. But I do love to listen to advice because I can pick and choose what I feel like would work for me and work for my family. I love that. Okay, bringing us back, ways to save money on eating well. We're going to the farmer's market. We're growing our own food. What else are we doing? And I know those are two very distinct things that not everybody can do it. So I'm not a meal prepper. I'm a meal planner. There's a huge difference between that. I don't have time to meal prep. It's very hard. It takes a lot of time and a lot of Working moms don't have the time. I give credit to people who can do it, and I do know it's time-saving, but I don't. But I am a meal planner. I try to grocery shop on the weekends or on a good Monday, but I plan what I'm going to probably do throughout the week after talking to the kids and all that. And when I do that, I feel like you're already saving money because you know what you're going to make and you're going to use it. Because I feel like a lot of people grab a bunch of stuff without understanding, am I really going to use all this? I'm going to grab this vegetable. I'm going to grab this. And then it sits in your fridge and it goes bad. Meal planning to me, I think is really helpful in keeping your costs down because you know what you're going to do. You know what your week is like, oh, Tuesday night, I'm going out. I won't be able to make dinner. So the kids should probably order pizza that night because I'm not home. So you're literally sitting there looking at your calendar for the week and being like, here's what we're going to eat every single night of the week. Yep. Absolutely. Tomorrow night, I'm taking my daughter to go see a show with a girlfriend. The two of us are not going to be home. So that means the dudes are home. So more than likely, it's my husband going to make a sandwich, which we have generally most of the time in the fridge. 
or they're going to order something as takeout. It helps without having all these groceries in the fridge if I'm not going to be home a ton to cook dinner at night because that's wasteful. So that's a really big tip that I try to give people that is very helpful to me. And with the planning, are you planning leftovers as well? We'll use make the main meal Monday and then we'll utilize the leftovers Tuesday? Absolutely. So I have leftover squash. And a lot of times, some of the leftovers are made into not even dinners the next day, but it's made into lunches for my husband and I if we're home. So it just depends on what there is, but there's nothing wasted. Another tip I have is if you feel like some of your stuff is going to go bad and you're not going to use it and it's in your fridge, just stick it in the freezer. It's so easy just to stick it in the freezer. Like take two seconds, put it in a Ziploc, out a freezer, Ziploc bag or whatever, and stick it in the freezer because you can use it later, I bet. Anyways, that was another little tip. I love that one. And I think people don't know sometimes that a lot of those pre-washed greens that you get at the grocery store, you can literally stick that directly in the freezer, in the container even. And then you can use that for smoothies. You can use that for soups. It's a great hack because I feel like the greens always go so slimy. And they go fast. You're absolutely right. So when you are doing your meal planning, are you doing breakfast, lunch, dinner, or just dinner? Meal planning is generally dinner. Breakfast is pretty easy. It's a quick breakfast. I get up early in the morning before I go to the gym and I make my kids their breakfast. And it's anywhere from an egg sandwich to tomorrow I know I'm going to make their breakfast pizza sandwiches or it's oatmeal or it's, you know, quick cereal, whatever it is. It's more old school where they're not really knowing (laughs) what they're getting, but I know their favorites. I switch it up during the week. Super fast. They're all getting ready for school and then they're out. Lunches, they're at school. So my daughter buys her own lunch. She gets to pick out what's there. That's what they do in middle school and high school now. And so she has like a little school card. My son has hot lunch. It's funny. A lot of people are like, I'm so shocked. You love to cook. Why don't you make your son's lunches? It's interesting. I said, I pick my places of wanting to cook and spend the time. And to me, it's more important to sit down at a meal that I've cooked for dinner than it is to package up a lunch for him. That's just where I chose. You know, he gets great hot lunches. He knows what he's going to get. He gets to see his own calendar during the week. He gets to pick it, which is fun. So he gets to pick like, oh, I want the mac and cheese this day, or I want the hamburger. He likes that. It works for him. And it gives me a little bit of a break in meals (laughs) during the day when they're at school. I love that you say that because I think sometimes there's this pressure to do everything. And you're like, let me lean into the thing I like that I do well, you know? And it's impossible. I mean, yes, I could spend the time and get up even earlier and make lunch every day, but I'd rather make them breakfast. I'd rather give them a homemade breakfast in the morning. And then I'd rather give them dinner at night if I'm home. Like those are more important to me than a bag, a brown bag that I had to make at five o'clock in the morning. A hundred percent. And I think it's such a good takeaway for anybody listening with literally every part of your life, but asking yourself like, what is the most important to you? What are you going to get the most out of and putting your energy in there? And those are different depending on who you talk to. Maybe those lunches are more important than doing breakfast. You know what I mean? Maybe breakfast is super quick in the morning. It's chaotic. Maybe they don't want that stress in the morning of making a hot breakfast. So maybe it's something super easy that's out of the freezer or whatever it is because they'd rather make them a lunch. You know, it just, everybody's different. That's where I've chosen for myself. 
I love that. Okay, so diving into dinner, we have a question from a listener. I'm a working mom with a family of four, and I find it extremely challenging to cook meals at night. I buy groceries. I have good intentions, but it feels like when 5 p.m. rolls around, we are all grouchy and hungry, and my husband and I are tired from working all day, so we just order takeout. Any advice? It's hard. There are nights that we order takeout. So I think you give yourself the grace. As my kids are getting older too, it's interesting because they're all into sports. So that's also like a whole nother added thing that I found starting to get a little more difficult to do the sit down dinner. But again, that goes back to my meal planning where I understand what the week is like. Maybe you start small and you pick out one day or two days a week. That's it. And those are the days that you decide to try to cook something at home. And then if you feel like five o'clock rolls around and it gets too crazy, if you have the ability to try to prep it a little bit before, so it's not so heavy on you at five o'clock when everybody's totally bitching and wanting their food ASAP, there's that aspect too. But start small, like start one day a week or two days a week, whatever is small. I love the idea of starting small. I have a few go-to recipes that are like 15, 20 minutes max, like my absolute shortest recipes. And I just have a list of like four of them. So I don't get that decision fatigue when I'm looking at them and I'm like, what should I cook? And I think having just a very small amount of very, very fast. Like your backup recipes. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that. Like scrambled eggs with vegetables or a frozen pizza with a side salad that I make really quick or something like that. I mean, there's days that like I just gotten home, there wasn't a lot in the fridge. And I was like, look, you guys can have like avocado toast with a fried egg on top for dinner. I hope that's okay. And they're like, great. I think having those sort of very easy recipes that give them everything they need in a meal like that is genius. Do you have any other favorite back pocket recipes like the avocado toast with a fried egg on top? Yeah, I mean, they love those kind of staples. They love that. I generally have some sort of sandwich and we make paninis all the time because then you grill it, make it hot, and then you're like, oh, it's not lunch anymore. It's dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> a panini so that makes everything feel so everything. luxurious. Yes. And my son just found out because he took half of mine decided that he loves tuna melts now, right? Like he loves tuna. He's never really had tuna before. And so that's one that takes me two seconds to make because I always have tuna in the pantry. I always have mayonnaise and I generally have all the herbs and stuff. So a tuna melt is another one that's like super easy, high in protein. Kids love it. There's definitely a few of those. Pasta is another one that's super, super easy. I generally have some sort of vegetable in the fridge of some sort. If I were to go like in my fridge right now, I just saw that I have butternut squash. So it'd probably be something like that. You know, I could whip that up pretty easily. Love that. Okay. Let's do one more eating one and then we will move on to other stuff. I want to eat well, but I find healthy food so boring. When I think about wanting to live forever and eating boiled chicken and broccoli or dying a little younger and enjoying myself, it's hard for me to not choose the latter. Should I just enjoy (laughs) myself or are there tips for making healthy food taste better? I don't think healthy food needs to be bland at all. So that's the one thing that she said that I totally disagree with. So I don't know what healthy food you're looking at, but it's not healthy food I would want either. And that's, again, going back to really how you prepare healthy food, right? Vegetables don't have to be bland. Chicken doesn't have to be bland. All those things that I'm sure people think like, I'm just going to have a side salad with a little balsamic and you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be that way. There's many ways. And I think 
the mentality of what we thought was healthy, even when I was growing up, I'm going to be 50 next month, is very different than what we've really figured out is healthy. We couldn't have fats, like putting avocado on something or a little bit of ghee was like, no way, like we couldn't do that. But that's actually really good for you. I don't think you need to lack flavor to be healthy. So that's one thing. Second thing, I have it tattooed on my arm. It is all about balance. I really wanted to turn 50 feeling the best I could ever feel at 50. So I had like a goal this year to lose the COVID weight that I gained a little bit, which, you know, I gave that grace as well. And I'm going to say that I didn't shame myself for putting on weight. I really didn't. I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm done with this now. We're past the scary COVID part. We need to get out of it. And I was like, I'm going to make an effort to really change that. But I give myself those days of having a little bit of something. I've decided to not drink unless there's like holiday party or something, but I don't drink during the week. So I still get to enjoy that glass or two on the weekends, but I've decided I'd rather have it on the weekends because that's generally when I'm with friends or we go out or whatever. So I'm not depriving myself, but I'm giving myself a better balance that I know works better for my body. And I do that with food as well. I train really hard during the week. And I don't train just for my body. I train for mentally, like going to the gym and hiking and doing the things that I do. And I'm very big into ice bathing is also a mental thing for me. And I do believe that goes hand in hand. I give myself a little grace on the weekends. I kind of have this like 80%, 20% sort of vibe going right now. And it's worked wonders for me. And again, I don't know if that would work for her, but it has worked for me. And I could not feel better. I am actually feeling better at turning 50 than I felt like I did at 40. Okay. I have so many questions about that. What are your other staples of your healthy parts of your routine? Like you mentioned ice baths, you mentioned workouts. I'd love as specific as you could get. Yeah, I can get totally specific. I'm obsessed with ice bathing. I was introduced five years ago or so from my sister and brother-in-law. They would do it all the time. We would visit them or they would come visit us and we would do it. But then... This new goal of mine in January of this year, I was like, you know what? I really want to switch things over. I want to get back into caring about me and my health and my mental health and all that. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to start ice bathing again. And I started doing it on Sundays and became like a community thing, which I really enjoyed and loved. And then it became where now I'm doing it three to four times a week. And I love it. So that's what I do with that. How long do you stay in? Three to five minutes because some scientists say it, they say a combination of about 11 minutes per week is like perfect. You know, you really don't need more than three minutes. A lot of people, when they're first starting, will start 30 seconds, start a minute, they'll do little bits. And just because that's a really hard one for people to do because it's miserable, what benefits have you personally noticed from it? Where do I begin? Mental clarity, better sleep, Again, it's a combination, right? So I think with a lot of things, adding a few things that I feel like works for me, it's not just one thing. I think we sometimes think that, like it's going back to the 80s and like taking a diet pill and like, this is gonna fix it all. No, it doesn't. (laughs) It's a combination. It really is a lifestyle change, right? And so, yes, I love ice bathing and I love all the things that it does for me, but it's not just ice bathing, right? Love that. It's me going to the gym which I generally go three days a week for weight training, like circuit training. And then I try to do some sort of like hike because I love being outdoors. And again, I get the benefit of being here in California, usually twice a week. So I generally have a five days of something 
healthy for my body and my mind. And then again, three to four of those days as well. And I try not to do it on the days that I actually train. I'm doing ice bathing. Love that. Okay. So we have a five and I love that you have three days weight training, but you're also like doing something really enjoyable as part of your activity. You're hiking in the sun. Yes. Being outside for me is if I had to choose, like I would be outside every day doing something physical like that. You know, even just walking the dock, I count that because it's getting outside. It's moving my body. I used to live in New York and I used to walk so much and I loved how I felt. And so I really tried to incorporate just walking. My kids are like, hey, let's go get frozen yogurt. And I'm like, let's walk. It is wild to me how often on this podcast when I'm interviewing experts, whether they are hormone experts or brain health experts or gut health experts or creativity experts, they all recommend walking. It is one of their number one tips, no matter what their specialty is. I love to hear that. I think that walking is truly one of the best things, walking and water. I've always said the two W's are the two best things you can do for your body. I started hearing about colostrum a year or so ago, and I got so many messages from all of you. Was it hype? Was it worth it? I am super cautious about any recommendations that I give you, so I wanted to do a deep dive into the research and try it myself, which I've been doing for the past six months. And I'm happy to say that I was really pleasantly surprised by what I found. First of all, if you're like, what is colostrum? It is the first nutrition we receive in life, and it contains all of the essential nutrients our bodies need in order to thrive. The brand I tried is Armra Colostrum, and they're definitely the highest quality one that exists. The reason I wanted to try it was for my allergies. I am allergic, unfortunately, to my fur daughter, Bella, which does not stop me from cuddling her during most of my waking life. And there's really interesting research about how colostrum can help. Essentially, it reduces the pro-inflammatory cytokines that can cause allergic reactions, and a number of studies show that it helps protect and heal your gut and help feed your microbiome, both of which have downstream positive impacts on allergies. I've personally seen a huge difference in my itchy eyes, my stuffiness, and all of that, which is a huge win for me. And if you suffer from gut issues on their own, obviously that research would point to it being helpful there. It also has been shown to fight viral and bacterial infections in the gut, which is great for travel, but just also if you feel like anything is off and you want to create a better state of balance. There's also great research around its ability to regulate your immune system And that inflammation regulation will have so many other impacts, including helping with skin health, helping with energy, and more. Armor Colostrum is a sustainably sourced colostrum concentrate that harnesses over 400 living bioactive nutrients. While most colostrums undergo heat pasteurization, Armor Colostrum uses proprietary cold chain biopotent technology that preserves the integrity of the bioactive nutrients to guarantee the highest potency and bioavailability of any colostrum on the market. Armor Colostrum also sources their colostrum from grass-fed cows from their co-op of dairy farms in the USA, and they strictly source only the surplus supply of colostrum after calves are fully fed, which was so important to me. Armor Colostrum goes through extensive auditing and third-party testing to ensure their colostrum meets the highest bar of purity and efficacy, which includes being certified glyphosate-free. If any of that sounds good to you, we have worked out a special offer just for my audience. Receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Liz Moody or enter Liz Moody to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash Liz Moody. 
If you're drinking a ton of water, but you still feel thirsty, the reason for that might be that you're not actually hydrating because you need electrolytes. I've started sipping water with Element mixed in all day long, and I feel a world of difference. Like I'm literally less thirsty, but also my skin is better, I'm more energized, and I just feel better. And there's a reason for that. Electrolyte and sodium deficiency is actually at the root of many of the problems that even the healthiest eaters and athletes face, things like headaches, muscle cramps, and fatigue. We're always told to just drink water when we have these symptoms, but drinking more water actually makes the problem worse if electrolytes are not also replaced. Hydration is not just about drinking water. It is critical to hydrate with water plus electrolytes to get to you hydration, which is when we have adequate fluid balance in our bodies, and that's why Element is key for hydration. Each Element packet is made with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Element delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes without any sugar, fillers, or artificial coloring. I also love them because they make it so much easier to drink more water throughout the day because the water that you're drinking actually tastes good. They have amazing flavors, and right now I am most excited about their newest flavors, chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry, which you can drink warm like electrolyte hot chocolate. I cannot get over how fun and cozy that is. It is so perfect for winter, and I was definitely weirded out at first because I was like, electrolyte chocolate? What? But they taste so good, especially the chocolate mint. If you want to try Element for yourself, the Liz Moody Podcast listeners can receive a free Element sample pack, which includes one packet of every flavor, including the new chocolate medley, with any order when you order at drinklmnt.com slash Liz. And if you don't love it, Element offers no questions asked refunds on all orders, so there's absolutely no risk in giving it a shot. That's drinklmnt.com slash Liz for your free sample pack today. I want to go back to what you said initially as a response to this question, which was healthy food doesn't have to taste boring. It can be delicious. It can be exciting. It's not either or. What are your favorite ways to make healthier food, to make vegetables, say, taste really delicious? Roasting a vegetable with salt and pepper and a little good olive oil will make any vegetable taste better, in my opinion, truly. And then add your herbs, right? So like I said, I had butternut squash in there. Well, I'm not going to want to eat it just on its own. I'm going to throw it in the oven. I have zucchini in there that I'm probably going to do something with. Zucchini is great on its own. Like I love it. But do I love it roasted? Yeah, I do. I like it so much better because it has more flavor. I think seasoning... And the way food is prepped has everything to do because again, going back to like aesthetic and how it tastes, you're going to want to eat it more often than sitting there with a bland salad with hardly any dressing on it. There is something to be said about how you prep your food, like a bland piece of chicken that's blanched and like, oh, blah, terrible, absolutely terrible. Yeah. Well, and to your point, like that's not what people are saying is healthy anymore. Mm -mm. I think sometimes we can conflate losing weight with being healthy. And then we have these societal notions. And I don't even think that that's the best diet for weight loss if that is your goal. But we have these Mm -hmm. societal things of like, we have to punish ourselves. We have to reduce our pleasure to have it be good Mm -hmm. for us. And that's simply not true. No, it's not true at all. It's not true at all. And there's so much science behind that. 
Yeah, there's literally science behind if you're enjoying things, you're going to be more motivated. And I would agree that like utilizing your spice cabinet, utilizing seasonings, I think it can be really fun too to pick a cookbook and just cook your way through the entire things. It pushes you to try recipes you might not otherwise have tried, which pushes you to explore flavor profiles that you might not otherwise have explored. Yes. And again, I think a lot of people still have that old mentality in the 80s where fat was bad for you. And fat has a lot of flavor. So avocado and coconuts and almonds and all those types of things that we would never touch like in the 80s, like it was just never going to happen. It was non-fat this, non-fat that. And fat does have great benefits and it has great flavor. So there's something to be said about that too, because a lot of people are like, it's so bland. Well, no, it doesn't have to be because good fat is good for you. It occurs to me as you're saying that, that you were on... TV at the times when we were getting these really shitty messages about what to eat. Did that mess you up around Completely. Oh, yes. I mean, I go back to days of not so much the beginning of Saved by the Bell, but more towards the end as I was getting older and then the beginning of like 90210. And yeah, I was eating like tuna out of the can with no mayo and I was not having avocados or nuts and it was non-fat. If I was going to do mayo, it was non-fat mayo and it tasted like crap. And yeah, it was all that kind of stuff. And it's not that it didn't work. It's funny though, but it was never sustainable. And that's the biggest key that I want people to understand is that, yeah, you could do that for a quick fix if you wanted to, but is that the way you want to live? It's not the way I want to live, you know? How did you begin to have a better relationship with food when you're being told what you should look like, when you're getting all of these outside messages. I will say, I don't think I ever had a bad relationship with food. I've always loved food. I grew up in a family that was always cooking. All the women in the family were always together in the kitchen. We weren't Italian, but it felt like we were Italian. You know, like we were always in there together creating meals. So my respect and love for food was always there. There were just times when I was in front of the camera where either someone said something or I would see, you know, the girls, you know, on the magazines and be like, oh my gosh, I would love to look like that. And then in my brain be like, okay, I need to diet for two weeks and get into this one dress I want or whatever it was, you know, something stupid. It was more of that. I never went deep into not liking food and respecting food, if that makes sense. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, I find it really hard, even with the amount that I'm on camera, which was significantly less than you are on camera. And I still find it really hard to have to see myself so frequently and perceive myself in that way. It's really tricky. I have days where I feel stronger than others, right? Today I walked on and I looked at the time. I was like, oh, I will not be putting any makeup on today, but that's okay. There was probably times that I wouldn't have done that in my thirties and forties. I'm really trying to give myself a little more grace with that and knowing that it's okay. We all know what we look like without all the stuff on our face and the fancy clothes, but then it's also nice to get all dressed up because that's fun too. So again, it's going back to that balance of it all. I also think it's so important for women to be okay being barefaced because we've socialized to men looking quote unquote normal without makeup on, but we haven't socialized to women looking normal without makeup on. So if I don't wear makeup, people are like, oh, are you sick? Are you tired? Are you okay? <laughs> terrible? I know. I know. It is awful. Yeah. But, but you're we right. need those examples. We do. And I feel like we're heading in that direction. As much as I can hate social media, I feel like I'm seeing more of that acceptance a little bit more with certain people, at least some of the people that I follow. I enjoy watching them just kind of bare bones it, right? Like this is me. And I love that. 
I do too. And it's fun to recognize that if I find them beautiful, I must be able to look beautiful without all of that stuff too. Mm-hmm. I think Agreed. that's really lovely. Speaking of, you're turning 50 soon, so I love this listener question. I am really, really trying to embrace aging, but it is hard. I hate the physical elements, like not feeling as strong as I used to, having weird aches and pains, having skin that's sagging in places it did not used to. And I hate the mental elements, like feeling like strangers aren't attracted to me anymore, being treated different at work, and knowing that I don't have as much time to do everything I want in life. Be really freaking honest. What's actually good about aging? And how can I flip my mindset when there are so many bad things? Okay. So I do think this is a mindset. I think it's a very big, big mindset. I think it's how you perceive it, right? I had a grandmother who aged in such an amazing way because she really, truly embraced it. Every wrinkle she got, and she would tell me this as a young girl and as I grew up, she earned it. Every wrinkle, every line was either something that made her laugh, something that made her cry. And those are all things that build character in us, right? Those are memories. Those are pieces of our past. And so it really got me thinking And I think having that example was really super helpful for me. Again, there are days where I look and I'm like, oh, wow, this is really starting (laughs) to go down. Or my stomach right after having both my kids. I hated it. I hated it so much. I was like, I'll never wear a two-piece again. And then there's the other aspect, kind of like my grandmother, where I was like, I earned this stomach because I birthed two children. Like... I gave a huge part of myself to two people that I get to look at and be like, wow, that's an achievement. And I get to put that sort of beauty that maybe I don't have in my stomach anymore to the beauty of these two little creatures that I created, right? It's not always as beautiful as I'm making it sound, but I really try to go in that direction more. And I've really tried to embrace this last year before I'm turning 50 in a way that I want to turn 50 feeling the best I can be showing a great example to my children that, you know, my health, mental and physical is important and that I've had a really good life. I've had difficult moments, but that's also part of who I am now. Right. And so I want to embrace all of that because that's just all building the character and the person that I am now. How do you navigate being in an industry that doesn't seemingly love women aging? I know. I've seen a lot of it as I've gotten older. That's a hard one. I think it's just how much you can really allow it to come in and seep in. There's some times where I get people who are like, oh, you look great for your age. And that's wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, I feel good for my age. But then I'll have some people say, well, why aren't you putting stuff in your face to make yourself look better like half the other people are doing? And I'm like, but I don't want to. I'm okay with that. I don't know. It's interesting. It all comes down to how you can handle those outside voices. I've had outside voices for a very long time because I was in front of the camera since such a young age. And maybe I just got really good at it. 
but I just don't listen to a lot of it. Like, it's funny. I don't normally go through a lot of my social media and seek people's comments, but I have been lately because I was promoting a cookbook and I wanted to see people if they had questions about recipes or if they really liked the recipe or whatever. But it's interesting when people will comment that aren't as nice, you know, and I kind of reflect on it and go, well, if they're taking the time to say something, and I say this across the board, not just on social media, if they're taking the time and the energy to throw something out there that's negative, then there's got to be something negative happening in their life, right? So I really try not to put it personally because it's not worth it. It's really not worth it. And maybe that's just that thick skin that I've had to create since I was young, going back to having hard times and the things that you learn from your past. That's all that kind of armor that you keep building. And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. It's also interesting. I was going to ask almost a question because they were like, oh, it's hard to not have strangers be attracted to me and stuff like that. And so I was going to ask, was it hard for you to go from like the love interest roles to more of the mom roles? But then I was thinking, isn't it interesting that the roles that are mostly available for women of a certain age aren't love interest roles, that they are mom roles because we can be all of the things that every point in our life. And then I was thinking like, it's so interesting how the stories that we're told shape what we feel like we're allowed to be at the different phases. Yeah, totally. You know, it's funny that she says that she doesn't feel like people are attracted to her. And my question to her would be, are you attracted to yourself? Are you loving yourself? Because it goes back to that sort of self-love. And I do believe when we can give ourselves a lot more of that, that exudes out. It really does. Has there been anything on a pragmatic level that's helped you love and accept yourself? I've always tried to give myself the grace of just where I was at that moment. Like when I had put on some weight during COVID, I kind of felt like there was a reason why I put on that weight, right? Maybe it was a little protection. Maybe it was what I needed at that moment. There was lots of reasons why I wasn't eating well. I was home a lot. The normal routine wasn't happening. So my sort of attention to myself wasn't there as much. But then I go back and I could be really hateful to it. I could really be like, why did I do that to myself? Or I could say, maybe I needed that. Maybe I needed that extra little weight. Maybe I needed that extra little protection to get me through what we all were going through, that whole mental screwiness of what was happening in the world. So I also look at stuff like that in a kind of a different light where I'm giving it grace. Maybe Mm. I needed that. And that's okay. That's totally okay. Hosting this podcast has honestly transformed my idea of what our microbiomes are and how critical they are to our health. I cannot even count how many expert guests have cited microbiome health as one of the most key components of overall wellness, from our digestion to our mood to our cognition to our skin health, and it's why I personally have prioritized my microbiome health in the past couple of years. That's why, as you probably know by now, I am obsessed with seed. Taking Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is a part of my daily routine that supports my whole body health. I think it is critical to understand that when we think of probiotics, it's not just for the gut health issues like bloating and constipation. They support the entire body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic has 24 bacterial strains that are scientifically studied to support our digestive health, dermatological health, cardiovascular health, and more. As a company, Seed's mission and commitment to research is amazing. They're actively conducting clinical trials to continuously improve their products, 
including one trial assessing the impact of different strains on GI symptoms for patients with IBS, and another for assessing the effect of the DSO-1 daily symbiotic on post-antibiotic recovery. Their team of scientists formulated the DSO-1 daily symbiotic to have a capsule that actually survives in the gut rather than being killed by stomach acid before you even get the benefits. This is so important. If you're just grabbing whatever probiotic you can find at the drugstore, you might not even be getting the microbiome support that you're expecting due to a capsule that doesn't shield the bacteria. And the DSO-1 daily symbiotic is not just a probiotic. It is a symbiotic, which means it contains both probiotics and prebiotics, another important quality that you will not see on most drugstore shelves. The combination is so key. While probiotics are the live beneficial bacteria, prebiotics are actually the food that the probiotics need to thrive. Without the prebiotic component, the probiotics that you're taking will be undernourished and far less effective. If you need any more convincing, their packaging is not only beautiful but sustainable. You can refill the little green glass bottle every month with the pills shipped right to your door in compostable packaging rather than using single-use plastic bottles. If you'd like to try Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic or their PDSO-8 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic for kids and teens aged 3 to 17 and see for yourself why I and so many other people in the Liz Moody podcast community love it, I have an amazing discount for you. You can use code LizMoody at Seed.com to get 25% off your first month's supply. Again, that's LizMoody at Seed.com for 25% off. Money was such a source of anxiety for me for a long time. I'm always talking about building good, healthy habits, but I didn't have any when it came to financial wellness. Once I started getting educated about my money, I began to feel empowered about it. And pretty soon I was like, how did I let this cause me so much anxiety for so long? If you are struggling just like I was, you need to check out YNAB. YNAB is an app that teaches a set of simple money habits to help you spend, save, and give without guilt or second-guessing. It's one of the apps that experts I talk to recommend over and over because it's grounded in techniques that you won't see anywhere else that actually work. You start off by learning four simple core habits that are actually genius and have completely changed the way that I think about money. And then it guides you through saving so you are never caught off guard by a surprise expense again, so you feel safe and secure with money. But maybe more importantly, it also helps you fit the things that you love into your spending plan so that you know you have the money for that bachelorette party or that weekend getaway that you've been dreaming of. Also, and I love this, you can add up to six users to one account. So if you manage money as roommates or with your partner, it has got you covered. It has incredibly high ratings on all platforms and has become a huge cult hit because it's helped millions of people actually build the financial life of their dreams, even people who truly thought it was impossible. Check out YNAB and learn the habits with a one-month free trial, no credit card required, at www.yabb.com ynab.com slash Liz Moody. You'll get a month completely free and be able to see for yourself what a big difference it makes. I promise you're going to get back way more than you spend. That's www.ynab.com slash Liz Moody. Mm, I love that so much. What ages were harder for you? What were the hardest ages for you? I would say 18 to 22 was hard for me because I think my body changed a lot during that section. 
for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe navigating the adult world, being on my own, like that kind of thing. So I remember that was a definite big growing spurt for me, I would say. And then the after pregnancy of my daughter, the first time I got pregnant. Pregnancy was great. After was hard for me. Wasn't as hard with my second one, but it was really hard after Harper. I was super late. I wasn't used to my body. I mean, I didn't know what the heck was going on. It was the first time. And I've said this publicly too. I don't think there's enough women talking about what happens to your body. There's all these books about what happens to your body when you're pregnant. I'm talking about after. There are not a lot of stuff that talks about what happens to you. There's all the stuff that talks about the baby, what you need to be doing with your baby, what's in utero, and then when it's out, right? There's nothing about the mothers after having the baby. And there's so much that goes on mentally, physically. And so after that first one, that was a really hard, like a year or two, not even just a six month thing. Like I didn't understand why I wasn't losing weight. Like everybody else was breastfeeding, you know, my doctor was great. She was wonderful. She goes, you know, maybe you need more fat in your body to produce your milk. Have you thought about that? And I'm like, no, I haven't thought about that. You know. <laughs> Is there anything else that like, I haven't had a kid yet and it makes me very nervous, the idea of doing it, but like, I know you can't say everything I should be prepared for, but like, what's something that's really surprising that I should be prepared for? Well, just your body. I think we have this idea that you birth out this baby and like your body's going to be like, oh, a little funky for a few weeks, but then it goes down. No, it doesn't. Some people look like they're pregnant for months and months and months after. And I did. You're literally like producing and secreting this stuff out of your body and like your mood swings, the sleeping aspect, the emotional aspect. Like there's just so much that I just don't think that we put enough information on what happens. Like, you know, you see all these books about, oh, your baby zero to three months. This is what you can expect. Uh, three to six months. This is what you can expect. Well, where's the one about us? The first zero to three months. Like, yeah. what should we be expecting? You know? Well, and it subtly tells us that we shouldn't be prioritizing ourselves. that like, we're not what matters. And that's exactly right. You're absolutely right. And some people, that's why that whole conversation was like, well, how come you say you feel better turning 50 than you do when you did when you turned 40? Well, I think because I was so consumed in my children, which I get it, I should be to a certain degree that I wasn't making myself a priority as much as I was my kids. And right now my kids are a lot older and there's a little more self-sufficient. I'm putting a lot more energy into myself um, and I'm happy to, you know, but there's not a lot of that. There really isn't. That's interesting. That goes to one of the parts of the listener's questions, which is what's actually good about aging. Would you say more time to focus on what matters to you is something that's good about aging? One thing that I think is good about aging is not giving a shit. And I hope she finds this eventually because there is a big part of that where I gave a lot more shit at 40. And maybe it was because I felt a little more insecure because I was still having my kids and all that kind of stuff where now I'm past that and I don't give a shit as much. I really don't. Like about everything? Kind of about everything, about what people say. Maybe this is what happens when you get older. I go back to like my mother and my grandmother and they got pickier. Like it's what they want and that's what they want. And I kind of understand that. Like you don't mess around with the stuff that's not important to you anymore because I think you value your time a little bit more. And maybe that's because you're going on the other side of it. I don't know. But my time is valuable. I want to be around people that either have 
the same sort of ideas that I do or bring something to the table that stimulate me that I don't need a 9 million friends. Like that doesn't matter to me anymore. That is such an unlock for me. I've never heard somebody say it in quite that way, which is if your time is more valuable, which when you become cognizant of the limitations of your time, it will become more valuable. Yeah. yeah. If your time is more valuable, you're going to be spending probably each moment in a way that is far more satisfying, which would be a huge boon of aging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And you've also had 50 years to figure out exactly what you like. Right. That's exactly right. You said you have fewer friends, which was a very nice segue. So thank you into the next listener question. As I'm getting older, I'm finding that my social circle is shrinking. Friends are moving away. They have their own lives and it's getting harder to make new connections. I'm kind of lonely and I'm worried about getting lonelier as I get older. How do I cope with this? Hmm. Well, I do believe everybody should have a community. So if she's feeling like she doesn't have a community, then I would definitely say that that should be a concern because I believe that everybody should, right? I was going more off of when I was in my 20s and I could invite, you know, 100 people to my party. There's nothing appealing to that as I turn 50 (laughs) that I would want 100 people at my party. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, it's stressful. That means I have less time to talk to the people I really care about. I'd have to schmooze a bunch of people that I probably don't give a shit about. I'm turning 50 And my husband's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want 20 to 25 of my closest friends. And that's it. That's all I want. I don't want gifts. What are you going to do? Are you doing a dinner party? It's not totally finalized. I need to get my button gear. But I just want a nice weekend away with some of my closest friends where we can do fun things that are going to be sort of adventurous and food driven and probably go somewhere close by. I don't want to get on an airplane. I don't want any of that mess. I just want to go somewhere for a few days where I can enjoy the people that I respect and love. And I want to laugh and I want to do things that I like to do. And that's usually food and adventure and hiking and whatever. But I don't need a big party. I don't want a big party. So it's kind of how I feel about my sort of friend base is that it has gotten a lot smaller much smaller, but I can give quality time to those fewer friends. It means more to me because I have fewer friends. And I feel like those connections are deeper and more meaningful because I'm not spreading myself thin for 120 friends, you know? Have you dealt with bouts of loneliness at all over the years? I think we all dealt with it during COVID. (laughs) I've done projects where I've moved away for long periods of time and it's hard. Being lonely is a very hard thing. And that's why I say for her, I think community is extremely important. But at the same time, you know, my best friend lives 3000 miles away and there'll be weeks and weeks and weeks that we don't talk. And then we pick up and it's like we never left. Do you have any tips for keeping relationships strong as people enter these different phases of life, whether it's parenting or moving away or Mm -hmm, anything mm -hmm. like that? I think not putting too much pressure on the friendship, not having so much expectation on the friendship because things do change. And like I was saying, my best friend lives in South Carolina and and, uh, he's been away now for, oh my gosh, 10 years. And there'll be long periods of time where we haven't seen each other or even just connected on the phone. But I don't give him guilt for it. He doesn't give me guilt for it. It's life. And I know that if I really needed him, he would be there. And he knows the same thing. Yeah, it's a nice thing about friendships that have 
lasted over time is you probably have a different confidence in the strength of the relationship, regardless of the daily contact. Absolutely. And that's across the board, whether it's your relationship with your parents, whether it's a relationship with your spouse, you know, that sort of underlining understanding that no matter what you feel confident knowing that they'll be there. That's a wonderful friendship. That's a healthy relationship in my opinion, because I do have friends that need more. Right. And that's okay too. But then I have friends that don't need as much like this one. He is my best friend. He was the man of honor at my wedding. He doesn't need as much. We don't need each other as much in those ways. I don't need to have him physically to not feel that I have that very deep spiritual connection with him that I've had since, you know, I've known him longer than my husband. I imagine it's also important to sort of identify what you need from your friendships and almost try to match with friendships that have similar needs. So you don't get somebody who's like, I need to talk five times a day with somebody who can touch base once a month. Yeah. I mean, it depends on your needs. Right. And so I think that's why my number of friends has gotten smaller. Mm. Okay. And I want to ask you about this because I feel like your career has had such an interesting path. So This listener writes, I'm in my late 40s and I'm feeling like I picked the wrong job. I feel uninspired by everything I'm doing, but it feels absolutely crazy to start over, especially since I don't know what I'd like better. Is it too late? And if not, do you have any advice for where to begin? Mm -hmm. It's never too late. It's never too late. I don't even care if you're 75 years old. It's never too late. So that's my first answer. I know people who start a whole new career and go to college in their 50s and 60s. I don't believe it's ever too late. I think it has to come from a place of really wanting it, having a passion for it and the drive, because if you don't have those, it's not going to happen. If she's feeling not satisfied in the direction that she is, I'd say change it, or at least maybe take a couple steps and test the waters to see. Were you nervous when you were beginning to pursue food as a career? I was nervous just because it definitely was an avenue that no one had seen me do. So I never knew how people would perceive me doing something like that. But it came from, again, a pure love, a pure passion, and a drive that I was like, why not? If I love it, then maybe other people will like it too. It's also interesting reflecting on all the other stuff we've talked about where you get to know yourself better, you become more confident in your choices, you become more intentional with your time. I'm kind of like the later you are in life, in some ways, the better prepared you would be to choose an ideal career for yourself and to go after that because you know yourself so much more and you value your time so much more. Totally. I mean, you've had over 40 years of experience with people, with everything, right? Yeah. How did the idea come to you where you were like, I'm going to try doing food as a thing? Well, it's funny. I was living in New York City, and which is you know a huge food city. And I was shooting a show called White Collar at the time. And I would pretty much on a weekly basis go into the Chelsea Market. It was one of my favorite places to either have lunch or walk around. And my daughter was very little with my husband and my mom actually lived with us too, to help us. And so I was walking around and I just remember looking and seeing a sign for Food Network and Cooking Channel. I was like, oh, I didn't know their offices were here. And I watched a ton of Food Network Cooking Channel shows. I used to love just having sort of those cooking shows on in the background. And so I was like, huh, I wonder if they would ever do a show with a non-chef. 
And I just had that thought and we would go back, you know, a week later and I kind of would have the thought again. And then I finally was like, this thought keeps coming into my mind. I wonder why, like, I feel like I should pursue this or at least just open the conversation. So I called my manager and I was like, Hey, do you think it would be like even possible for me to like take a meeting with them? Like, would they take a meeting with someone like me? Like I've never went to culinary school, not a chef, you know, blah, 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 blah. I feel like people would value a home cook. And I feel like I could be that person. And so he got me a meeting and I went in there all by myself, nobody else. Cause I was in New York and all my people were back in LA and I went in there and I pitched <laughs> the show like all by myself. And that was dinner at Tiffany's. What I absolutely love about that story is you took something, and I think anybody can benefit from this mindset shift. You took something that people could perceive as a detriment. I've never been to culinary school. I've never worked in restaurants. And you asked yourself, how could that be an asset? And it's, I can relate to home cooks. And I think anybody can do that. We beat ourselves up. We focus on the negative about Uh the skill sets that Uh we've accumulated over the years, where we are in our lives. But actually, you can flip that on its head and say, how could this be Mm -hmm. an advantage. Right. Because most people have not gone to culinary school. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good point. Yes. I felt like I had something that I could offer people that was extremely relatable. And I think when you look at like nowadays on social media and TikTok and all that, and you're seeing all these people cooking, I follow so many people with food that have no culinary background, except for the love of food, like I do. And it's fun. It's really fun. And I half the time would much rather watch them. Well, and to your point, most of us haven't gone to culinary school. So those recipes are going to be so much easier for us to follow along. They're probably shopping at the places we're shopping. They're using techniques that we know all of those things. Yes. With ingredients, they know how to read and understand. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I sometimes will buy like the fancy restaurant cookbooks and I'll look through them and I'll be like, wow, you can tell that you had 20 hours Uh to prepare this dish. And they're beautiful coffee table books and that's where they lie. We love to end our advice episodes by asking what the best piece of advice that you've ever received is. Mm, Okay. It's from my grandmother and she was, it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a constant reminder. Listen to your intuition. Mm, We all have intuition. I do believe that women even have it so deeply because we are creatures that create other life. And so it was something that she really instilled in me at a very young age And I probably didn't listen to it as much when I was younger, but I hone into it so much more as I've gotten older. I think it's hard too, especially as women, because society tells us so much bullshit. So there is a lot of noise. And I think taking that time to really zoom in and get quiet and hear what your voices say. Yes, because society does tell us that we're emotional creatures and we're this and we're that. Listen to your intuition. I love that. It usually will not steer you wrong. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit in your own words about your beautiful book? Oh, yes. It's called Here We Go Again. It is my second cookbook. And it really is all about inspiration that you can give to the leftovers that you have in your kitchen, whether it's your pantry or your freezer or your fridge. It's a love letter to really wanting people to kind of look at their food in a different light and also be mindful of the imprint that we can also leave behind when it comes to food waste. You really took something that people can view as a chore, both like eliminating food waste and using up leftovers, and you made it feel so bright and fun and happy. And that's an approach I try to take with all of the sort of 
habits I'm incorporating in my life. Like, how can we make this fun? How can we make this exciting? And I think your book does that so beautifully. It was kind of a love letter to my childhood too, which is why I wanted to make it kind of nostalgic and very 70s, 80s. And, you know, a little bit of a love letter to my mom, who really was like the initial sort of idea came from how I was raised and how she was just cooking as I was younger. I definitely had a lot of fun with it. So thank you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. This was wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The advice episodes are always so fun because it's like we learn from world-class experts in the regular episodes, and then in the advice episodes, we can see how real people are implementing different things in their real lives and learn how real people are problem-solving and growing and changing. And Tiffany is also just so freaking charming. If you like this episode, shoot a link to someone you think would benefit. And if someone shared a link with you and you are new to the podcast, welcome. I am so glad that you're here. Make sure that you're following on whatever platform you like to listen on. All you have to do is go to the main podcast page. That's the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. This way, you will not miss out on any new episodes. They will appear right in your feed every single Wednesday. We will be back January 3rd with the game plan to have the best 2024 ever. It is going to be the absolute best way to kick off your year. But if you miss us in the meantime, dive into the archives or check out the playlist that we will be making on Spotify or search for your favorite topic on lizmoody.com. And don't forget to go to 100waystochangeyourlife.com, 100waystochangeyourlife.com to snag a copy of my new book. It is the best last minute holiday present and will also be your best friend for kicking off the 2024 of your dreams. Okay, I love you so much. Thank you for an amazing 2023 and I will see you next year. It is so crazy to say that for the next episode of the Liz Moody Podcast. Okay, you know what stat blows my mind? People in the U.S. take about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90%, 90% of their time indoors. And that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. I talked about this with a world-famous doctor friend years ago, and I was like, it is awful. What do I do? And she said, you need a high-quality air purifier, and you need to keep one in any room that you spend a ton of time in, which is why I am so excited to introduce you to Air Doctor. Air Doctor goes above and beyond the HEPA standard, which requires that 99.97% of particles at 0.3 microns be captured by a filter. Air Doctor uses an ultra HEPA filter that was independently tested and proven to remove at least 99.99% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. That is 100 times smaller than the HEPA standard. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander. For any other pet parents who are allergic to their babies, this makes the biggest difference in my allergies with Bella. Highly recommend for that alone. This includes dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Also, if you live somewhere that is coming up on potential fires this summer, please, please, please get an air doctor so you have it ready. Breathing in smoke is awful for your lungs. And as somebody who lives in California, it gives me such peace of mind that I have my air doctor ready to go. 
We have a few, but if you are starting with one, keep it in the bedroom. That way you're breathing great air for at least a third of your life and it'll help you get better sleep, which will have so many downstream positive effects. And as a little bonus extra, it has such a nice white noise sound. It actually helps me fall asleep and stay asleep. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you do not love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code LizMoody, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And this part is exclusive to Liz Moody podcast listeners. You will receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Liz Moody.